0: The recording did not take, and so um, if it was a good sermon, you liked it, it's not there. If it was a bad sermon, um, the Lord erased it in His providence, and so um, what what I'll do is... um, I, I do a lot of study and different commentaries, and I read sermons and listen to sermons. Um, so far, probably the best sermon series I'm listening to by another pastor preaching through James is, um, is Sinclair Ferguson, and so he did a, an excellent series on the book of James. And so I'm going to record an audio where I say what I'm saying right now. If you missed last week's sermon, um, go look up Sinclair Ferguson's um, sermon on that text. Um, and maybe even continue forward with him because I really like his, and probably better than mine. But this is who um, this is who God's given you as a congregation. Because um, so I have a, a dear friend in California, and he said he's going to write a book on preaching, um, and what he's going to call it is um, is love the one you're with. And so, um, in in the age where you can get all kinds of great preachers um, and listen to all kinds of great preaching all week long, um, this is the one that God gave you. And so. Um, I'm here and get to open the Word of God and 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 preach as best I can each week. And so, um, we come to the Book of James this morning, and um, I have just loved the Book of James. I was talking to somebody last week. Um, James doesn't have very complex theology, and so in seminary we didn't study James very much uh, because we had to spend time in the more complex stuff. James is very straightforward, um, but in that um, I have not spent as much time as I wish I had in all my years of being a Christian and even a pastor. And so I'm really excited about being in James and and preaching through James, and I've really enjoyed learning, and it's, it's really encouraged me as just a, a man who, who wants to honor God and, and follow Jesus, and so um, I hope it's been the same for you. And so we're coming this morning, James 1, 19 down to, to 25, and um, James is going to hit on two themes that he's talked about before, kind of what is true faith, um, he's also going to talk about self-deceit. You remember the question, I think, in the, ser- first, the second sermon I had, which was, if you were self-deceived, would you know it? And the easy answer is no, I wouldn't, because I'd be self-deceived. If I am deceiving myself, I don't know it. And so James is actually going to, this morning, tell us how we can do some diagnostics to that. But um, the introduction I wanted to give you goes back to those of you who are raising toddlers. And I know that's some of you. Um, We are out of the toddler stage. And um, nevertheless, um, I hope that God brings a ton of toddlers to, um, to our church. And in the toddler stage, a toddler begins to talk. Um, And in the course of talking, um, a toddler learns what I call the two power words. Um, And these are the two power words, mine and no. Um, Once a toddler can use those two words, um, life for his or her parents becomes immediately more complex because immediately they start to say what they want about their world. And they can start to control their world and their toys and what they do want to do and don't want to do. Uh, well, actually what happens is even on through there, uh, as we grow into adults from toddlerhood, we still use those two words um, to control people and to control our environment. That's mine and no. Sometimes well, sometimes not. Uh, if you look at the you know, Middle East or dictators, you know, part of the reason that they're cruel dictators is because they're misusing those two words, mine and no. And so the question is, as we have those words and all the ways that we dress them up as adults, how can we be sure that we're using them the right way how can we be sure if someone comes to us that they're using them in the right way how can we be sure that someone isn't infringing on some of our boundaries or some of our rights by using mine and no to try and control us And so James is going to give us a litmus this morning to show us what do we do with power words? What do we do when we or others try to control their environment without God? And so that's the direction we're going this morning, should be helpful to you as an adult, um, especially if you also are the parent of toddlers. So James 1, verses 19 to 25, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is the word of our God. Let's pray this morning before we consider it. Father, thank you for this, your word that is instruction to us, and the word that we read this morning is about your word, and so we ask that we would not just be hearers, but also doers of your word. Um, Do that and accomplish that through your Holy Spirit. Um, We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so what you see, we're going to try and answer two questions this morning um, as, we, as we go into this text. It's going to be, um, do you respond um, first with your mouth, with your ears, or with your fists um, when something goes wrong in, um, in your world? Um, and then secondly, we're going to answer the question, how do I know if I'm reading the Bible correctly? Um, there is a bad way um, to read the Bible, a wrong way to read the Bible, and so how do I know that I'm reading it correctly? And so... That's where we're going this morning. You see James um, labor in right in the start by saying to do um, one thing quickly and two things slowly. Um, Be quick to hear. Be slow to speak. Be slow to get angry. I I love the pastoral counsel of James. Um, He doesn't do all the complicated theology stuff. That's important to have background. But James is just coming in first saying, hey, listen, just do this. It's going to make your life better. It's in line with the word of God and should be helpful to you. And I think it's only become better advice for us in the age that we're in because the age that we're in demands such a quick response. It demands that we stay on top of things and be able to respond so fast. We don't even have time to think as fast as we're expected to respond. How many of you have checked your email this morning? How many of you checked your email multiple times this morning? How many of you have written something that other people have read this morning, whether a text message or a post or an email? How many of you in your work, your work expects you to be available outside of work hours and respond um, outside of work hours? How many new teachers have already been contacted by a parent in the evening and been, had to respond um, to, to that? I was the other day going through, um, through, I use um, Google email, Gmail, and um, Gmail came out with a new feature um, that is actually the unsend button. And um, what the unsend button does is what they've practically done is simply held your email for 30 seconds after you press the send button. So if you think, oh no, I shouldn't have sent that, that you can actually go back within those 30 seconds and press unsend. I wonder what that says about us as a culture where a company has to not do what it's asked you to do for 30 seconds. You've asked them to send the email, but they are going to hold it for 30 seconds, so just in case you acted too rashly or too quickly or are prone to react, that you can go back and say, no, actually, I need to to unsend that. Some of you are writing yourself a note, I need to turn that function on, because you've sent emails too quickly, you've reacted too soon, and that's where we are. And it's a part of our culture, but it's also a part of James's culture when James was writing. And so James is asking you, first, don't be quick to react, be quick to be reflective first. So Christians are very much a counterculture in an age of rush and hurry and respond and react and write back. James is first saying, hey, hold on a second and be quick to listen. Be quick to hear. Be quick to shut your mouth. Be quick to not respond in anger. And be quick to re- consider the situation and what's going on. Listen to the people who are talking to you. You know, one of the reasons that you struggle with memorizing people's names when they introduce themselves to you, is something I have to do as a pastor, I have to memorize names, um, and so I've looked into why we do that. One of the reasons that you so struggle to memorize people's names is because when they are telling you their name, you are practicing saying your own name. They come and say, my name's Joe. And while I'm saying my name's Joe, you're thinking, what is my name? What do I need to say? What do I need to say back? You're, you're doing that. You're not listening to them say their name because you're so worried about getting your own name wrong that in your head you're saying it. And so people who instruct on memorizing names say, hey, you know your name. You don't have to respond. But, but how many of us in normal conversation are actually listening to the person who's speaking, we're already formulating the response in our heads because we feel like we have to say the right thing and be the right thing and we can't say, hold on a second, I'd just like to consider what you said. Why are we like that? But more than that, and what we'll see, James is pushing us to realize not only to be quick to listen or quick to hear in general people and to honor them as people created in God's image. You have thoughts and maybe wrong thoughts or maybe right thoughts, but you honor them enough to listen to what they're saying and their opinions, but especially to be quick to listen to the word of God. And you'll see him do that um, in our, our second point this morning before he goes on to how can I be quick to hear God's word and listen to what God wants me to do. And so if that's the first thing, the, the be quick to do that, his two slows are really the same thing and it just depends on how you try to control your world. And so he goes on to be, hey, slow to speak and slow to be angry. And for most of us, when we try to handle our lives without God, we handle challenges, crises, and sometimes everyday living with either our words or our anger. When life doesn't go the way that I want it to, I'll either respond with words to try and control it, or I'll respond with anger to try and control it or other people, or do both and do angry words at the same time. Simply something's wrong, instead of thinking through it, I just start talking. And as a pastor, that's what I'm prone to. I can talk forever. I can do as long a sermon as you want. I'm, I'm paid to talk, um, and I can do that. And so part of my sin when I'm trying to control situations is that I can throw a bunch of words at it. You know, I tell my friends, hey, listen, if, if you're trying to call me on something, and you're trying to call me on sin, you need to pay attention. If I start talking fast, if my vocabulary gets more complicated, if I'm using bigger words... That means I'm trying to control the situation, and you need to call me on it. That's what I do when I'm upset, and I'm trying to control something without God. For some of you, it's anger, and you get very angry to control your environment. And that anger may be subtle. It doesn't mean that you're throwing things. Maybe you do throw things. It doesn't mean that you're yelling. Maybe you do yell. But it means that when something goes wrong, you go from zero to ten, and you didn't even see five. You went so fast. You just learned that if I can get angry, people will give me space. If I can get angry, I can be justified in my own sight and not have to depend on or consider the fact that something's going wrong in my world because God wants it to go wrong and wants to teach me something. I can respond with words and anger. And just to, you know, the last little caveat before you know, we, we move on from that is that some people respond with words and anger, and you never see it. Some people are just the quietest people that you have ever met, Um, and you think that just nothing rattles them. But inside their minds, they are cussing up a storm or raging or just beating you up. They just have, you know, these little mental pictures of this is how I'm going to deal with that situation. Um, For some of you, it's, well, I don't yell and I don't throw things and I don't talk much. Obviously, James is not talking to me. And, you know, we can cut someone down with our words and we can punch them in the face in our hearts. Um, And for a lot of you, that's what you do. And you think because you don't have the outward signs of anger and rage that somehow um, you're just fine and that James isn't talking to you when inside of you is just a boiling cauldron of wrath and bitterness where you take out everyone in your life for things that they've done to you. So don't think just because you don't yell and throw that that James isn't talking um, to you. And so he's comparing these two things. Be quick to listen and consider. Quick to slow down. Be quick to not send the email. Be quick to not yell. Be quick to not throw. Be quick to walk away and take a deep breath. Be quick to consider what's going on in your life, especially when it's something that you don't like. Be slow to anger. Be slow to speak. You know, one last thing before we move on to the, the next part. This is the other side of it. The Bible does not teach that Christians should never be angry. Um, this is unrighteous anger devoid from being or knowing that you are in the Word of God. And I don't know which side of the, of the, of the path you fall off on. You know, for some of you, you maybe never get angry, and, and you should. Um, I grew up in a house that was like massively passive-aggressive. We never talked about anything, and so I thought any expression of anger was wrong. And so I'm actually more likely to throw a punch as a Christian than I was before I was a Christian um, because everything that I was taught growing up is you're not angry, you don't show emotion, and maybe that's you. Um, On the other side, um, you know, sometimes you think, well... I'm just angry all the time, I need to stop being angry at all, because you're angry all the time, and you think that being, um, being a Christian is just this calm, peace person that walks around in a robe and hums all the time. Um, and that's not right either. Uh, so you can read Psalm 4 and Ephesians 4, quoting Psalm 4, saying, um, be angry but do not sin. There is righteous anger, and we can stand up and say things are wrong and tell someone um, that they're wrong. But you have to take the time to be quick to listen and hear and make sure you're in line with what God would have you to do before you get angry. And so James is saying, listen, watch out for that reflex. A lot of words, a lot of anger when stuff goes wrong. Just take a second and consider God's word. Take a second and consider the um, environment and the circumstances that you found yourself in. And so that's, that's the first thing. And... We all would do better. Our congregation would be a nicer place. Our families would be nicer places if we all would try to put that into practice this week. I'm quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. So that's the first part. Second thing, um, how do I read the Bible um, correctly? How can I be sure that I'm not reading it and being self-deceived. James will go on. I don't want to preach the the sermon, three or four sermons from now, saying, listen, it's, it's not knowing what's in the Bible. The demons know that. And the demons can probably do better in a theology exam than you do. So it's not just knowledge. It's not reading it. It's not being able to, quote, um, the you know the Tigris and the Euphrates and the Pishon and the Gihon um, rivers in the very front. When I was first a Christian, I thought that was what it was. And so I got a little spiral-bound notebook, and I started at Genesis, and I started keeping notes as I went all the way through. And so I, I still have emblazoned into my mind the four rivers flowing out of the Garden of Eden, the Tigris, the Euphrates, the Gihon, and the Pishon, uh, because I thought just the accumulation of knowledge was what was going to get me through. Um, and James is saying that is self-deception if you think that just reading the word is what he's talking about when he's saying quick to hear quick to listen quick to um to consider god in his ways then you've already missed it so the question is do you actually put the bible into practice if you want to know whether you've read the bible correctly has it changed your life at all That's the litmus. It it is so simple and it is so devastating, and probably just that second made us all feel guilty. It's like I just, I don't, I think there are times that I've read the Bible and haven't. We're getting to Jesus, and so if you're feeling guilt, it's probably a godly guilt, and we'll deal with that in a few minutes um, when we come to the cross of Christ. But for now, James is saying listen, don't be self deceived, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, and he's going to give an illustration, and this is the illustration, um, it's about mirrors, and so he said, listen, don't be like a guy who looks at himself in a mirror and then goes away and forgets what he looks like, to get it, how that, that works, um, I need to describe to you how mirrors were back then, um, and these days, mirrors are everywhere, um, so much so it's a little bit disconcerting, I had, to, I had to walk through a mall the other day, and there were mirrors everywhere, everywhere, I just saw myself everywhere. Um, maybe you go into your home, and how many mirrors do you have hanging on walls? And they're this nice, you know, silver-coated glass where you can see exactly what you look like. Well, that wasn't the case back in James's day. Um, a mirror would be something that you'd get to look in a few times in your life. Um, what mirrors were were finely polished metal, metal that was polished so many times that it was reflective. And so it still had impurities and you couldn't see things quite well because it was just polished metal. And you might, if you're in someone who's wealthy in their home or in an expensive building, you might go past one of these polished pieces of metal and get a glimpse of yourself in the mirror and actually see yourself. You see yourself in a puddle, maybe, or in a stream or a river, but to actually see yourself in a mirror and to see your image was something that didn't happen very often, and the expectation was that was such a special thing, to see yourself in a mirror that you would consider what you looked like and remember that, and then that would affect how you change and how you do in your life, and so I don't know what James was thinking about that, and I don't know if you, you, you look into the mirror and, you know, decide that your, your hair is all amiss, and so you're going to leave and act on your image and, and comb your hair more often. I don't know what James was thinking, but he's thinking you're going to see yourself, you're going to remember what you looked like, and you're going to do actions based on that image that you now remember that you were able to see. In a mirror. And so he says, what it looks like for someone to come to the Word of God and just data mine it, or just read it and think in the reading of it they've been changed, it is like someone who gets a glimpse of their own image, something that should be precious to them, immediately forgets what they look like, and then walks away and is unchanged. And so with the parallel, what he's saying is that this Word, functions as a mirror to us, that we don't just see God here, but we see ourselves. We don't don't really read the Bible. The Bible reads us. One of my encouragements to people who are examining the Bible for the first time, maybe if you're not a Christian here this morning and you're considering that, um, is to read through and not just consider what it says about God, but consider what it says about humanity and see if this book doesn't nail humanity. Not just God, but nail the human condition. Does it not nail the human condition to say, hey, humans in general have a problem with listening, and they get angry and talk too much. I, I think maybe it's right about the human condition. And that's important. It reads us and serves as a mirror to us. And so one of the reasons we love the Bible and come to the Bible and study the Bible is not just to see God, but to see us and our need for him. And so James is going back to that first slow down and listen. Here, he's saying, hear the word of God. See yourself as it is. And instead of walking away and thinking somehow I've forgotten about it and I don't need to change, Actually, do what it says. I mentioned this last week, but I have seen it time and time again in pastoral ministry when people fall into like life-crushing sin. Kind of, they're they're going to make a decision that's going to do something that's going to really bring bad consequences on themselves. Um, they have to take very clear messages of the Bible and twist them so they don't have to do them. It's it, it's really. And it, and almost accurately, is like talking to a crazy person. Well, yes, I know it says don't sin, but I think in my circumstances, what it really means is to sin. We have to do that. We have to hear it and then not do it in order to engage in practices that dishonor our God and ruin our lives. And so James very practically is saying, hey, what you should do is read this book and then go and do it Again, that sounds very simple, like that's a duh statement, but that is our problem. We can just read it and close it and not apply it to our lives, is one of the problems that was happening during Reformation era. They were looking at the, the sacraments, what we'll see is the Lord's Supper. And um, the Roman Catholic Church had come up with this thing called in opere operatum, is the fancy Latin word, and it means in the working it works. So that simply by ingesting calories, it changes you. Simply by eating the bread that we ordered on Amazon, it will make you more spiritual and holy. And people approach the Bible that way. Well, I read 500 words this week. That means I am 500 words closer to the Lord God. I memorized 30 verses so far this year. That means I'm closer to God it doesn't work that way. And what James says is that is the definition of self-deceit. And so in order to know we're self-deceived and deceiving ourselves, we have to have one glimpse of seeing things as they are. And James comes in here just like an accurate pastor and he says, listen, do you want to know if you're self-deceived or not? Do you try to put the Bible into practice? If you don't, and that doesn't mark your life either. You don't care about the Bible. You're not even listening to it, or you're not putting it into practice. You are self-deceived. See yourself for where you for who you are, and change. and And that's where he goes. And the beauty of the passage, you see what happens. And this is, um, th- this you don't get unless you realize James. Remember, James is Jesus's little brother, and so um, James grew up with Jesus as a Jew, um, an Orthodox Jew. Um, in the house of the Messiah. And so he went to synagogue all the time and memorized the Old Testament. And his word for the Old Testament was Torah. It is the law of God. And what he meant by Torah is the sum of the Old Testament. We think this is one of the first books of the Bible that's being written by James. And so when James considers the Bible, he's thinking Old Testament. And do you see how he alters it? Remember, he's a Jew. He doesn't need to put any adjectives on the front of Bible. Like he's a Jew. Like if anybody else has a high view of the Bible, it's a Jew. It's like C.H. Spurgeon talking about people who said that they wanted to defend the Bible. And he said, defend the Bible? That's like defending a tiger. Just unlock the cage. It can defend itself. And so you really don't need to add adjectives, except he does. And he goes on to say, listen, be the person that goes to the mirror of the law, the perfect law of liberty. You see, he he got what his brother did. His brother perfected the law. His brother completed the law. Jesus did everything to fulfill the law. He was the culmination of the law, as Paul will write in Romans. And because Jesus fulfilled the law in full, it means that people can attempt to do it without being crushed by the prevailing failure in trying to do it. So if I said, hey, how are you doing at putting the, the word of God into practice, and you thought, "I'm ah, not doing so well, I kind of look at my life and... To tell you the truth, it's, it's a little bit like analysis paralysis. And I keep thinking, well, I could do that, but i do it poorly, and if I do it poorly, well, then I'm gonna feel um, guilt, and so maybe I just shouldn't do it at all. Ever like that? Ever look at your long list of to-do lists, and the real problem is not that they're hard tasks, but that you've already psyched yourself out from doing them because you think you might fail? That's only increasing, and I can go into cultural analysis of why that's true and why all of us feel so afraid to fail. We feel like the entirety of culture is watching our every move, and so it's better just to watch other people fail than to actually make an attempt and fail ourselves. And here James says, listen, it's a law of freedom. It's a law of liberty. Jesus has accomplished the law in full so that you can wade into it and you can try it and you can attempt it every day. And where you're able to find success, you praise God for the work of his Holy Spirit in you. And where you find failure and you failed at the law, you say, praise God that Jesus is the atonement for my law failing. It's now a law of not condemnation and crippling and paralysis. It's now a law of freedom. So, if you want to know how you get people to obey the law best, it isn't by guilting them and say you oughtn't or else... The way you get people to obey the law is say, you are free to fail, now step into that and start trying. It's one of the things, we're starting, I'm, I'm a soccer coach and we're starting into soccer, this is our first week of practices and, um, you know, we, we say things to our kids like this, it's all about fun, it doesn't matter whether we win or lose. And the fact of the matter is, all of us want to win and none of us want to lose, all of us do. But unless you can take the pressure off, that it's all about being a winner or a loser, you'll never be able to approach it and start saying, you know what, I really can have fun doing this. I really would rather be on the soccer field playing and enjoying it, rather than being crippled by the fact that at the end, I might not have as many points as the other team. And find yourself enjoying and living life. And so James is saying, listen, see the word and do the word, and know that the word of God, the law of God, is a law of liberty. And lastly, what he also knew in his brothers, that what God has done for us in salvation is he has united us to Jesus. So that you are being conformed to the image of Christ. You are becoming more like him. That's what God's up in you. It's not like he has a different plan for everyone. And, you know, it might be this for that person and this for this person over here. He's making all of us more like Jesus all of us. And we do that together as this thing called a local church. And Jesus found such joy and, of course, effectiveness in his kingdom by hearing the word of God, knowing the Torah, and putting it into practice. And so we step into our conformity into Jesus. We grow in sanctification. We become more holy by trying to become like Jesus, failing forward, failing certainly, but forward nonetheless, and saying, I want to be like him. He loved the Bible, and he loved putting into practice in his life and so serving other people. And so in closing, I wonder where your problem is. I wonder if your problem is on the listening end or the doing end, the hearing end or the putting into action. For some of you, you are such new Christians or you've been away from the church so long, you don't know what the Bible says. And you don't currently have a plan to understand more about what the Bible says. And so for you, it may be setting down some other things and just becoming a good listener to the word of God. We have never had more access to the Bible. There are apps, and there are as many copies as you can find, and you can have them shipped to your house, and you can have commentary added to them. Um, You can go on to to an app, an audible, and you can get the Bible um, spoken. Like, there has never been more opportunities for you to engage with God's Word, and maybe that's where you are. You just need to know more about God's Word. Um, If that's you, dive in, start reading would love to talk to you and help you think through that. And so if you're like, hey, this is where I am, would like to know more about God's word, I'd love to give you some encouragement um, in that area. But, But maybe, and I think probably for most of you, most of us, it's the actually doing. And in fact, sometimes we think, I need to listen a little longer before I actually do. I need to read a little bit more before I actually do. If I gave you the option, for example, of you could share your faith or you could take a course on evangelism, which would you choose? If I gave you the option of reading a book about prayer that would take you five hours or praying for five minutes, which would you choose? Because of our tradition and our background, we tend to say, oh, I, I need to study more before I do. And I love study, and maybe that's what you need to do, and I study a lot. But for most of us, we have to take James's commentary to heart and say, am I actually putting into practice what I'm doing? Am I actually trying my best each day to live life in accord with the Word of God? You pray it every week, even though you don't know it. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes when I pray that, I, I alter it and say, Thy will be done in my heart as it's done in heaven. Thy will be done in my family as it's done in heaven. I want my spheres of influence to so approximate the angels around the throne that the people that that I get to associate with and me are saying, like the angels, God, who are you? What do you want to do? How can I put that into practice? The angels aren't there thinking, well, I wonder if that's a good idea. We should go and kind of research whether or not this God's idea are good ideas and then think of of what we could do. Or, I don't know. I, I think he might be having a bad day. Maybe we should wait till tomorrow to decide whether we're going to do what he's asked us to do. In heaven, the angels are waiting. They are chomping at the bit for God's commands, wondering, wishing, what can I do? How can I honor this God? How can I put his will into practice? So let's keep praying the Lord's Prayer as Jesus taught us to. Heavenly Father, your will be done on earth, in our church, in our county, in our families, in our heart as it's done in heaven. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. All of it points to Jesus. Thank you that you've given it to us, that we might know him and know you, that we might know both, that our sins have been forgiven, that we have been loved and saved by grace, that there is nothing we can do to make us more happy or to earn our salvation, and that we can also know that you have made us your workmanship in Christ Jesus for good works that you have already prepared. And so, Lord, we will walk out of those red doors and we will walk into the good works you prepared for us. And we want to be a people who love your word and do your word with a joyful obedience under the grace and love of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Accomplish this in us, Heavenly Father. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't we stand and respond by singing Revelation song about those angels and what they're doing around the throne of God. Amen. Mm-hmm.